Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. We are coming to the close of our Thrive series this morning. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'll make sure you get one. And uh, we've been going verse by verse through the book of 1 Thessalonians. And we are ending this morning, Lord willing. That's why we're skipping our, our, our greeting time, because I want to make sure we get through this this morning. Um, uh, which means, by the way, that because we're ending this book, what we've been doing in this past year is giving an opportunity for you to share about what God is doing in your life through the, through the book that we're, you know, teaching through. So, uh, you know, if you have a testimony of something the Lord shared with you or showed you through the book of 1 Thessalonians, I, we're going to give you an opportunity next week to share that. So, you know, ultimately, um, what we want to do is encourage each other with what God is doing in our lives. And, you know, we're listen, you're listening to the Word of God every Sunday, and we're going verse by verse through it. So I have to imagine that God did something in your life that's worth sharing with, to somebody because His Word is powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, and it transforms our lives. So we want to share those testimonies with each other because it's encouraging. It's encouraging to me. It's encouraging to the body that when we really will submit to the Word of God and submit to the Holy Spirit and apply these things in our lives, how God will change us and how He will affect us. Um, so if it, I, I know right now the Lord's like putting on your heart, yeah, I need to do that. You do need to do that. So I'll see you after the service and we'll talk about, uh, you know, that. It doesn't have to be long, but we do. What, whatever the, you know, in the early church, that's one of the things they did is they shared what, what, what was going on in their lives on a weekly basis as they'd get together. In fact, daily they really did that. So let's be those kind of people. Let's, let's share what God is doing. And so, I, you know, I need like five or six or whatever the Lord would provide for people that would desire to say, hey, I, I'll share something. Maybe you have no idea about end times theology or eschatology or anything, and you, you learned some things in the last couple weeks. Let's sh share that. Share what the Lord's doing in your life. Amen? So stand with me, and we're going we're gonna to end this serve it, the, the, this book with a wonderful text that talks about how we are to interact with each other when we come together. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning in verse 12, chapter 5, beginning in verse 12. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We ask, Lord, even now, that you would draw us close to you, that you would help us to see what you would have for us in this text this morning, Lord. Will you come by your spirit and teach us, Lord? Will you help us to uh, just be transformed and changed by your word? We commit ourselves to you, and we ask that you would prepare our hearts for communion even later in the service. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, what do Zappos, Warby Parker, uh, Southwest Airlines, Twitter, Squarespace, Google, Apple, REI, Facebook, and Adobe have in common? Besides the fact that they're all businesses, what do they have in common? They all have, according to Entrepreneurial Magazine, a phenomenal uh, workplace culture. They all have a, a phenomenal workplace culture. People desire to work at these companies because of their culture. And in fact, a lot of people would even get paid less to be in the culture that these companies provide. 
culture matters. Culture matters. And, and we, we live in some sort of culture at all times in our life. We, we are part of a culture. What is a culture? What is a culture? According to Webster, a culture is the set of shared attitudes, values, goals, and practices that characterize an institution or organization. They're a set of values and principles that a, a, a certain group of people decide that they're going to live by and they're, gonna, they're going to execute and maintain. That is what a culture is. Uh, culture molds the personality of an organization. Although it's invisible, it is absolutely determinative. You, can, you can't see it, but it defines who you are and what you will do. Far beyond, listen, far beyond a mission statement or far beyond any kind of piece of paper that has a vision on it. It is far beyond that. In fact, Peter Drucker, the management guru, once said, culture eats strategy for breakfast. Culture eats strategy for breakfast. He's saying that your mission statement, our mission statement as a church is to know Christ and to make him known. You know, your vision, whatever God's vision is, or, or your, your workplace vision, whatever the vision is, is completely and totally, uh, you know, surrendered to the culture in which it, it, it's, it's coming forth. It, 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 the culture determines what you're going to do and who you're going to be. So those set of principles and values really matter. You're probably thinking this morning, man, what am I at a leadership conference? No, you're not. Well, why, why do I need to know about culture? Because you're living, every aspect of your life is immersed in culture. Your family has a certain culture that you are living by. There's a certain principles and values that you have dictated to your family. This is what it's going to be like. And all, honestly, like without their help, you cannot have that culture, right? You, you, need, you need other people involved in it. It's not just about what you say. It's also about everybody getting on board with the vision, right, with the, the principles and values. Same thing in your marriage. Same thing in your relationships with one another. There are, there are unsaid principles and values that you're operating by. And so, you know, we, we, we operate in a culture everywhere we go. Everything that we do is wrapped around a culture. What we have to do then, if, if that is the case, is we have to determine uh, what the culture is going to be and cultivate it ourselves rather than letting it just cultivate itself. Because if you let a culture cultivate itself, it will become whatever, it, it will become individualistic and, and it will not be cohesive and gel together. It will, it will not be in unity. You have to have people that are on board with you. You're in your relationship with your spouse, your relationship with your friends, in your relationship with your children, in your relationship with one another. There has to be a commonality that you're operating by. Hey, we're going we're gonna to be like this, and we're going to operate by these principles and values. Culture requires teamwork. Culture requires teamwork. You want an amazing culture, you have to have amazing people who are willing to do whatever it takes to execute and maintain the principles and values that are handed down and that create the said culture. A church is no different. From any organization or it's a gathering of people and a church has a certain culture that it's operating by. Those principles and values have been dictated to us not by each other, but by God. God tells us what he wants his gathering to look like. He tells us what he wants our interactions to look like. But here's the thing is that that's only that, that in and of itself is only what God can do. Only God can set the bar for us. No one else can set the bar for you. Your spouse can't set the bar for you. Your friends can't set the bar for you. Only God can set the bar for you. He set the bar. But here's the thing is he will not do what only you can do. He will not force himself to, to, to he will not force you to, to fit into the mold that he has dictated uh, his, his gathering to be like. He won't make you do that. Only you can do that. That's because he's given us free will. He wants us to surrender to his plan and purpose. The Braidlaw is surrendering to his plan and purpose. They're moving to Florida. They, they, maybe they want to stay here, but God says, no, it's time to go. 
You have to surrender to him. It's his plan. It's his purpose. This is his place. So we have to be willing to surrender ourselves to him. If we don't, then a church will never look like it's supposed to look. It will never be what it's supposed to be unless everybody says, I will operate by the principles and the values that God has set forth for his body to operate by. And that's what we find in this text this morning. I'm calling this message Church Culture 101. Church Culture 101. Paul wants this church in Thessalonica to have an understanding of what the culture should be like as they gather together. There's a problem here, apparently. It's not a big problem. You'll see that later. It's, it's not like they're rebellious against the principles and values that God is putting in store. They just don't really know them. So this church has been planted. Paul was with them for maybe three weeks, and now he's, now he's gone, and, and they're, still, they're a thriving church. They're doing really well, but they don't know a lot. They know, but what they do know, they are walking in. That's what's awesome about this church. They take God's word, they take the principles and values that God sets forth, and they apply them, and they're doing well. But Paul says, listen, I want to talk to you guys about, as I end this, I want to talk to you about what your gathering should look like, what the church culture should look like, how you should conduct yourselves in four specific ways, in four relationships within the church. Number one is your relationship with your leadership. Second is your relationship uh, with, what is it? I don't know. I have to look at my notes. <laughs> Secondly is your relationship with fellow brothers, uh, brother to brother. And then thirdly is your relationship with the spirit inside of you, yourself. It's an internal look. And fourthly is your relationship with God. There are four different relationships that God sets principles for, and he tells us how to conduct ourselves, you know, in these relationships. And so that's what we're going to look at. First, we're going to look like, at what a healthy church culture is as it relates to the leadership of the church. Look at verse 12. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who, who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. And we esteem them high, very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And then down to verse 25 where he also says, brothers, pray for us. Who is us? He's talking about Timothy, Silas, and Paul, them, us, pray for us, the leadership, pray for us as well. So the first principle that Paul addresses regarding church culture is the relationship between the pulpit and the pew, the pastors and the people, the leaders and the laity. Uh, apparently, like I said, there was some issue here um, that was negatively affecting the church culture that Paul addresses. He, he Notice what he says here, though. We ask you. What that tells me is the issue is not uh, an issue of insubordination. It's not an issue of rebellion. It's an issue of, of uneducation. They don't really understand. It's not that they don't want to apply what's being said. They just don't know. And so he's asking them. He could command them. And in fact, God does command us. And, and, and oftentimes, you know, those are the things that we want to rebel against. That's our flesh. That's our pride. Paul says, you're not a rebellious people. I'm asking you, brothers, the body, I'm asking you to relate to your leaders in, in two specific ways, to be respectful and to esteem them very highly in love. Now, that says something about, number one, the leadership itself, and it also says something about the people. Paul is addressing at the same time both of those sides of the coin here. He's telling the leaders they have to be, A, number one, they have to be respectable. They also have to be esteemable. The people also have to surrender to that as well. So they, they need to be loving towards them and, and all. First, I, I want to address just the leadership in general. Paul is, is saying that they must live their lives in such a way that they are respectable and worthy of esteem. And he says that you ought to be as a leader in the church, a laborer and a worker, a laborer and a worker. How many of you have ever been part of a church where, you know, the, the pastor doesn't clean the toilets? He doesn't do anything. He doesn't do any of, the, any of that kind of stuff. You ever seen that before? Yeah, it happens. 
I'm pretty sure that Jesus, when he came to earth, he was the guy that was scrubbing the toilets. He's the guy that washed people's feet. Like he, he took the servant role, and that is the call of the pastor. You know, in the world, we have an org chart from what we call the top down. In the church, we call it the bottom up. The servants in the church should be the leaders first. They should be stepping into that role. They should be doing those kinds of things. That isn't to be abused by the people, though. Uh, the people also are to do it. They are also to come alongside. It's not like, you know, oh, the pastor will do it. Or the, the elders will do it. They'll do it. No, it's part of all of us coming together. But there is this idea that leaders must be servants. They must be willing to serve people. What was most respectable about Jesus Christ, A, number one, that he was perfect, but number two is that he never, ever asked somebody to do something that he himself would not do. Do you know that, Jesus? Everything that he asks you to do, he has done himself. That's a leader. That's a guy I can respect. Somebody that's not saying, hey, go do that over there, and they have, they've never done that before. Listen, the, the, the leaders of this church are on the bottom we are the servants of the body. That's the leader of any church. You must be willing to step in and do whatever it takes to fulfill the role that God, or the, the things that God wants to do in this ministry. That's the call to the leader. They are to be laborers. That word in the Greek literally means to work up a sweat to the point of exhaustion. That's the idea of what he's saying. Paul said to this church in chapter 2, he goes, man, we toiled day and night for you. We toiled over and over for you guys because we love you. That's what a leader is supposed to do. They are all suppo supposed to be respectable. They're supposed to be esteemable, I should say, in their, in, as a worker. That word worker literally means deeds. You know, oftentimes you find people, uh, leaders in the church that are mighty in word, but not indeed, not indeed. But but Paul says you Jesus was mighty in word and deed. The Bible says, and his leader should be mighty in word and deed. Not not only is it is work to counsel people and all this kind of stuff, but that but also there is a physical aspect of the job that he's calling you to. When you have a work day, guess what? The the the, the leadership should show up. They should be here. They should be the first ones here. Not only getting ready to work, but even the serving the people in the moment. That's the call. If you ever consider being part of a leadership team or whatever, here's what you need to understand. There is a commitment to a, and a willingness that has to be there that says, I'm willing to serve no matter what. I'm willing to do whatever it takes to serve the people. You're, you're serving Jesus Christ. Listen, this is not, this is far beyond. You, you would do that for your job. That, this is what's crazy. We would do that for our job. Some of you guys work 70, 80 hours a week for people in the world, and what you're doing ultimately, um, not to say that you're not administering there. You should be if you're working there. No matter where you go, you're in ministry. But, but some of you are working 70 hours or 80 hours a week for people, and it's materializing to nothing in eternity. You're willing to do whatever it takes to work your way up the ladder in the corporate world, but that's going to die. One day... That is temporary. The focus should be eternity. The focus should be like, I, 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 not that you don't do that and you, you need to work, of course. But listen, don't forget about the ministry that's involved in where you are. If you're working 70 hours a week somewhere, people should probably know you're a Christian. I'm just saying, They're, they spend more time with you than your family. They should probably know what you stand for, right? Don't, as Dan was saying, don't get pulled into the world's trap. Don't get pulled into the world's trap and think that it's about climbing that ladder. I mean, listen, all of that stuff is going to, the moment you take your last breath, it's all gone. It's all gone. And, it's, and honestly, if it's not done for the Lord, it's meaningless. It, it has zero value. So let's live for things that actually have value. He's saying these people have to be esteemable, respectable, respectable. You have a boss that comes alongside you, is willing to do whatever you do. You can respect somebody. You can esteem somebody that's like that. You cannot esteem and respect somebody who's not willing to get their hands dirty. 
That is who the leaders of the church are called to be. Notice he goes on here. He says, the pastors and leaders are called to be laborers and workers amongst and over the people in the body, in the Lord. They are to admonish the body of Christ. That means teach, instruct. It means warn. Warn the body of Christ. Thus, the, the leaders and the, and the pastors and all need to be people of the word of God. Need to be people that are able to rightly divide the word of God, that are able to admonish the body of Christ, not based on their thoughts, but based on God's word. What does God's word say? You know, we're not talking making up rules and regulations. That's called legalism. We're talking about, hey, this is what God wor God's word says about treating one another the way that we are or whatever the case might be. And, and I want to warn you or I want to I encourage you. I want to help you. This is who they're called to be mighty in the word of God. For it is profitable, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This is the responsibility of the leaders and the pastors of the church. The parishioners of the church are then to respect and esteem the leadership highly in love. What it doesn't say is worship them. What it doesn't say is put them on a pedestal. What it doesn't say is elevate them. That's happening in our church. We live in a pulp, pulp culture uh, Christianity that is, we have rock star pastors. What is that? I mean, Jesus was, I mean, if anybody's a rock star, it would be Jesus, right? I mean, I mean like, hey, oh, there's Jesus. I, it's not that, that there was an honest with Jesus. But listen. Some of these guys are developing a following because they like that. that You've got to be careful with that. We, we, the, the people are not to respect and esteem the leadership because of who they are, but because, listen, of who they represent. Not because of who they are, but because of who they represent. The leaders of the church are the authority of God put in place by God to represent God. That is the point of leadership in the church. God is a structured God. I mean, it's not like when he said, let there be light. There was a process involved in creation. You ever see that? Like he went from one thing to another. There was a structure involved. He's a very structured God. And he has a structure for our gatherings. He has a structure for us as we come together. And he, he dictates that to us. He tells us what that's supposed to be. All authority is from God. All authority. And so... That's why when we rebel against authority, who are we ultimately rebelling against? God himself. There is a rebellion uh, against the authority of God and his word in our culture today. That is the issue that we face, man. He, he tells us, you know, don't honor the people because of who they are, but because of what they represent. They represent the Lord. That's why we respect and esteem very highly these people. They represent the Lord. He goes on here, both parties, this is just not one or the other, both parties have a responsibility to live at peace with one another, have a responsibility to live at peace with each other. Jesus said that too. Do all that you can to live at peace with all men. That is God's will for you. Not only this, but Paul, back down to verse 25 there, he asked for prayer for, one, for us, pray for us. You should pray for your leaders. Your leaders pray for you. You should pray for the, the family of the leadership. You should pray for these people. And if you, were, if you would commit to pray just one thing, I would ask you to pray this, for an empowerment of the Holy Spirit. That, that is really ultimately the only prayer request, is that we would be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Once we are, are surrendered to him, everything else, he'll do everything else. We just need a, a, a surrender and empowerment of the Holy Spirit. That's all. You're going to pray one thing, just pray that. Know that that's being prayed for over you. That God, the Holy Spirit, would empower you. He would, he would bless you. He would encourage you. He would give you the wisdom to live your life for the Lord. Listen, we need to get back to the basics of believers depending on the Holy Spirit to live out the Christian life, not, not to do whatever we want to do. I am guilty, I'll tell you right now, of, of just doing things and saying, okay, Lord, now, now let's see what you're going to do. Anybody else do that? 
let's make 2020 one of those this year that where you say, no more am I going to just do whatever I want to do. I'm going to walk by the Spirit. I'm going to be sensitive, and I'm going to pray about everything, as we'll hear, look at this in a moment. Please pray for the pastors, elders, children's ministry teachers, our worship team, for the greeters and the, bar- the baristas in our coffee shop. This, these are all ministries that we have, and, and these people need prayer. They need to be covered by the Lord that they would, they would be equipped for every encounter that they would have. So please pray for that. A healthy culture is one that honors, a healthy church culture is one that honors its leaders. Secondly, it's one that ministers fellow believer to fellow believer. Look at verse 14. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. I love what uh, a pastor in, in uh, California, is a Calvary Chapel guy, John Miller, said about this passage. He said, the existence of pastors and leaders in the church does not relieve its members of the responsibility for caring for each other. The existence of pastors and leaders in the church does not relieve its members of the responsibility for caring for each other. I like that. You know why I like that? Because ultimately we're all ministers in full-time ministry. And what we have done with this thing that we call the church gathering is we've made it about a few people who are the ministers. That's not the way it's supposed to be. We're all ministers. We're all in ministry. And God wants to use you. So when we come to this Sunday morning gathering or to a home fellowship or to whatever you do during the week with your brothers and sisters, you should show up ready to minister and be ministered to. There should be a sense in which you're saying, God, what do you want to do with me today? How do you want to use me in the body of Christ this morning? Lord, how can the body of Christ bless, you know, your servant this morning? We come with sort of that dual mindset of saying, God, I want to be used, but also use other people in my life. It's a humility and it's, it's an expectancy at the same time saying, God, I want to be used, but Lord, use somebody in my life. This is, he, Paul is urging, he, he, he's urging this, this church, it li- literally in the, in the Greek it means to come alongside, to come alongside with the idea of, um, to, 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 of the idea of helping someone. Paul is exhorting the brethren to minister to one another in four specific ways. First, to admonish the idol. This means to teach, instruct, and warn those who are living contrary to Scripture. I don't know if you know this, but you're accountable to each other. Like, just automatically being in the body of Christ, you're accountable to each other. Like, I, at any time, any place, anybody who calls himself a Christian, I can pick this book up and I can say, this is what this says and this is not what you're doing. And we, we have the authority by God to do that as a body. You're a minister. You have the authority. I mean, do you guys know you can baptize your own kids? Do you know that you have the authority of God to go into the world and baptize? You don't need a pastor to do that. You're a minister. God sent you already. You're empowered to do these things. You can partake of communion with your family at home. Did you know that? You don't have to come to a church service and do this. You can do it in your own home. Your husband can lead you as the the high priest of your home through communion. These are things that we have surrendered and said, oh, that's for the leadership. No, we're ministers, all of us. And we're called to, and we, we, we come and we gather and we do these things. There's nothing wrong with it. But what I'm saying is, is uh, the mentality can easily be, oh, that's not my job. It is your job. And in fact, it is your job. Admonish the idol. The way that you admonish the idol, the way that you speak into somebody's life is Galatians 6, 1 with a spirit of gentleness, with a spirit of gentleness. You see somebody that's messing up in their life, then you come to them and you, the Bible says, restore them. You've been given the ministry of reconciliation, so you go and you help restore them with a spirit of gentleness. Secondly, you're to encourage the faint-hearted. You see somebody down, how many, I mean, how many of you, be honest, have ever walked by somebody and said, man, they look really depressed. I'm not getting into that. You know, anybody, I, am I the only one? Come on. I know you, do. you've done it. 
Encourage the faint-hearted. Encourage those who need comfort, who need consolation. Uh, God, listen. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 says that God has comforted you with a comfort to comfort somebody else with. If you see somebody in that situation, it's not coincidence. It's not coincidence that God has unveiled that moment to you rather than somebody else. You have something to say to them, believe it or not. You have the Spirit of God inside of you. You have something to say to them. Say it. Encourage them, man. Build them up. He says, thirdly, help the weak. Literally, this means fragile in faith. Those who are fragile in faith, you're called to help them grow, to, be, to, to, to disciple them. Is discipleship the job of, of the, the church leadership? Yes and no. Discipleship is also the job of the people. You know, when you look at the Great Commission, Jesus said, go into all the world, baptize and teach them. Make disciples, he said. So you have the authority from God to make a disciple. That means you can come alongside somebody, you can teach them what you know. Man, this sounds like I, I didn't sign up for all this. <laughs> you did too. Yes, you did. You signed up for this, and it's an awesome thing. I'll tell you what, there is nothing more gratifying than sitting along somebody that doesn't know and to watch their, the, the light bulbs come on in their, their brain, to watch the Holy Spirit minister to somebody. There is nothing like that in all the world. That's why this is a higher calling than any calling in the world, folks. This position that you hold as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, is the most cherished and privileged position in all of the world. Man, it's awesome. Go and make a disciple. Help somebody out that's weak in their faith. Help them to grow. You should, by the way, have somebody in your life you're discipling. And you should have somebody in your life that's discipling you. There should always be a Paul and a Timothy in your life. Fourthly, and finally, he says, be patient with them all. I like that. Be patient with everyone. It's easy for knowledgeable Christ followers to become impatient with babes and toddlers in faith, isn't it? Ah, oh, yeah. You don't got that down yet? Oh, man. Let me, oh, I got to keep going over this with you. When are you going to get it? It's like, you know, listen, be patient. Be very patient with people. You know how patient God wants you to be with people? To the point that Jesus said, don't, even if you know somebody's a tear, don't pull them out. Don't pull the tear out from the wheat. A tear is a weed. And it looks like a, a, a it looks like a, the, the wheat, crop, wheat, wheat crop when it comes up. But ultimately, it will show itself as a weed. But he says, don't tear them out. Let me do that. You be patient with people. You love on people. The one thing that Jesus said to Peter when he restored him his, feed my people, tend my people, feed my sheep. Just, just love and care for my people. Be patient with them. That's not just a call to those in the leadership, but it's a call to those in the, the fellowship to be patient with one another. Draw your attention to verse 26. Paul says, greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I, I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. This is something else that you should be doing to one to another, believer to believer. Um, and Paul says, get, greet each other with a holy kiss. Listen, uh, don't try that here or you'll probably get slapped. This is a cultural situation here that he's talking about. Maybe they do that on the East Coast. You try that on me and we'll have some words. But don't do that. And notice it says holy kiss. That, that also is very important. We do holy hugs in the church. So, you know, you can do the side hug or however hug, whatever hug you want to do. That, the, the only holy one is the side hug. But, um, so, but, but what, what he's saying is, is express your love and your unity for one another. That's, that's the point of what he's saying. Not necessarily the, the action, but the point of it is to do it in that way. 
And then he, listen to what he says. I put you under oath. I put you under oath. These are strong words. That you share this letter with everyone. What is he saying? He's saying share this because why? It's the word of God. At this moment, I believe Paul understands what he's writing is supposed to go beyond this church. It's supposed to be read everywhere. And so he's writing it to us as well. Now, I think there's a principle in that, that, that there are some here in this congregation who God drops some serious truth bombs on, like gives them serious nuggets and you hold on to it. You don't ever tell anybody about it. You just sit on the profoundness of what God has given you. Do you know, I think that's sin. I think God is saying you need to, you need to drop some of the theologicalness of the Lord on us. You need to share what God is, is sharing with you. Because it is profound, and if you will, God will use that in a serious, in a very pack, impactful and, and mighty way. Listen, I'm not, I'm not God, and I'm not the Holy Spirit, and I'm not telling you what you're supposed to share and what you're not supposed to share, but I can promise you that there are things that maybe you've held on to because some of you don't feel like you should say something, but you should. You should. God wants to use us, man. And he will only use us to the extent of we will allow him to. You know that? So maybe you're blocking something that the Lord wants to do in your life. And you know who you are. So let's just hear some of that uh, deepness that the Lord is doing in your life. Paul ends this here with the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Now he's talking believer to believer. And, and I, I think there's an important truth in this as well that God's house is a house of grace. Right? Grace is getting what you don't deserve. So if, God, if, we, if we treat each other graciously with each other, give each other what we don't deserve, then we're going to look an awful lot like Jesus Christ because he's a gracious God. Let, the Jesus is the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ should be the same grace that is being in oper, operation around us, in and amongst us as brothers and sisters in Christ. God is a gracious God. He wants us to be gracious with each other. Paul goes on here, and now he talks about our conduct towards, our conduct within in verse 16. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all, all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Abstain, verse 22, from evil, from every form of evil. Rejoice, pray, give thanks, and abstain from every form of evil. These, these four things are the things that are being unveiled, that what we are supposed to do within our own selves. Like this is what's going to help create a, a healthy church culture is if we do these things. It's interesting that Paul is counseling a persecuted church in Thessalonica to rejoice always. He's saying what that means is rejoice in the good and the bad. Rejoice always. Not just sometimes, but, but, but always. Why? Anybody else struggle with that? Like, man, I don't feel like I can rejoice in this, Lord. It doesn't feel very joyful right now. And what we're missing is the fact that he's at work. What we're missing is the fact that he's allowed something to go on in our life so that he can put us somewhere so that he can get more glory. That is the point. That's why we can rejoice always. Is it possible to rejoice in sorrow? Jesus did. The Bible says Jesus was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Listen, do you think you have sorrow? you think you have grief? Try like walking around with the weight of the world on your shoulders, looking eyeball to eyeball to people um, and, and, and being God in the flesh and knowing who's going to hell and who's not. You want to talk about sorrow. Jesus was acquainted with sorrow, and yet he was a man of joy. At the very same time, it was for the joy that was set before the Lord. He found joy in you and I. He, it was, his object of joy wasn't in his circumstance, but it was in, his, it was in you and I. And so that sorrow, although it existed, he was also rejoiceful always. Paul said the same thing in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 4. I'm acting with great boldness towards you. I have great pride in you. 
I am filled with comfort. In all our affliction, I am overflowing with joy. With joy. First of all, joy is from the Holy Spirit. And secondly, our ability to maintain it has everything to do with our perspective. Spurgeon said this. He said, is there nothing to sing about today? Then borrow a song from tomorrow. Sing of what is yet to be. Is the world dreary? Then think of the next. What is he saying? He's saying don't focus on the here and now. Focus on the future. Focus on, on your ultimate you know, place of, of residing in heaven with the Lord. Get some perspective is what he's saying. We're also to pray without ceasing. This isn't necessarily positional in prayer, but it's more an attitude of prayer. You can talk to God all day long. Do you know that? You don't have to come in some formal manner. Oh, let me get in the holy position to talk to God. You can have a conversation with God always because you're already in the holy position in Christ. Do you know that? You have access to him at all times. And so you just have those conversations. Have them with him because he wants to hear from you. He likes your company. He loves to be in communion with you. Thirdly, give thanks, not for all circumstances, but in all circumstances. There's a difference. I don't thank God for car trouble, but I thank God in the midst of car trouble. I don't thank God for sickness, but I thank him in sickness. That's what he's saying. It's not about the circumstance. Additionally, I would add, Paul says all of these things, that it, th those three things specifically, are the will of God. This is the will. Of, you want to know what the will of God is? There it is. Here's the will of God for you. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in all circumstances. That is the will of God for you. And I would add this as well, that you are to abstain from every form of evil. That also is the will of God. Um, we, 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 that doesn't mean that we're to avoid the world. Some of us think that we're supposed to be in a bubble. A Christian bubble, got my Christian friends and my, my Christian culture, and I have, listen, you're called to go into the world. You're called to go to dark places. Just don't let the darkness rub off on you. That's the thing. You, but you are called to go. I love what, what D.L. Moody said. He said, Christians should live in the world but not be filled with it. A ship lives in the water, but if the water gets into the ship, she goes to the bottom. So Christians may live in the world, but if the world gets in them, they sink. They sink. Go into the world. Just don't let the world go into you. Keep yourself clean. Final point of church culture 101, conduct towards, our conduct towards God. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. The kind of culture God desires for his church is a culture that does not quench the spirit of God. The word quench here literally means to extinguish, to stifle the power or energy of the spirit of God. The spirit is a holy fire and thus we must be careful not to put him out with our conduct, yes, but listen, also by our limiting or forbidding the exercise of gifts of the spirit. So oftentimes we think of quenching the spirit of suppressing the spirit with, with sin, and that does happen. But I promise you that you suppress the spirit in your unwillingness to exercise the giftings that he's given you. I think that is happening more in the church today than ever, that the gifts of the spirit are being suppressed. We are continuationists. We believe that the miraculous gifts are for today. We believe that the Holy Spirit is moving today just like he was in the Bible we believe that God, he, the, the Spirit of the God is the one that is the giver of gifts. You can read 1 Corinthians chapter 12 through chapter 14 to, to better understand that. But I say all that to say this. We pray every Sunday for the gifting of the Holy Spirit, for the, for the gifts of the Holy Spirit to be present here and that he would be, be using them in and amongst the people of God. Words of knowledge, words of wisdom, you know, you know even gifts, you know, tongues and whatever the case might be. We believe in these things. This is not weird. It's in the Bible. I mean, you might think it's weird that a donkey talk, but that's also in the Bible. I mean, these are things that are in the Bible, and what's weird about it is our, under, our misunderstanding of it is what's weird. What's weird about it is our unwillingness to allow the Holy Spirit, uh, who is God, to have such control in our lives that we're willing to trust Him and do what He asks us to do. Here's what I would tell you, that 
unless you are willing to walk by faith in the gifts of the Spirit, you will never see what giftings you have. You will never see what giftings you have unless you are willing to say, Lord, I want what you want for me in whatever that case may is. Here's contrary to popular belief, the Holy Spirit will not possess you like a demon and take over you and just do things. That's what people that's a misunderstanding of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the same as Jesus Christ and the same as God the Father. He is equally God, but and he is a respecter of man and he will not force himself on you. He will not make you do anything. Therefore, whatever whatever gifting comes out of you is in, in a sense, is a, done because you're willing to let the Spirit use you in that way. Does that make sense? He, you don't have to fear the Spirit of God. Listen, the Spirit of God wants to work in your life, and we should not quench Him. We should not suppress Him and say, no, 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 don't do that. I've done that. I've done that at times. Don't do that. Quench the Spirit. Let's let the Spirit move. Some, just a few final thoughts here by Paul. Verse 23, now, may the, may the God of peace sanctify, and uh, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who calls you as faithful. He will surely do it. Paul, Paul ends this power, with a powerful prayer for the people of God. He says that God would sanctify them. That means to be set apart, and it isn't sanctification for the sake of uniqueness. Some of us want to be set apart because we want to be unique. That's not the point. The point is that we are set apart for completeness, for completeness, literally, wholly attaining to the end, reaching to the intended goal. The idea is leaving no part within unreached, literally uh, a thorough work through and through. That's what Paul is praying for for the saints. Notice uh, the reason why that they may be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. I love that Paul always is thinking about the next step, which is Jesus coming back. Lord, keep us blameless. Keep us people that are living holy for you. Keep us a people that are on mission for you, that we're not losing track and sight of the fact that you are coming back. Yes, 2,000 years ago he's writing this. And he, we just got done going through the, you know, the, the, the rapture of the church and the, the, the day of the Lord and all of these things. If you miss those, you can go back and listen to them. But he's tying that in here, and he's saying that you would be complete in your whole body, spirit, and soul, the entire entity of who you are, that you might be kept blameless in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the only way you can be kept blameless is if you are sanctified by God in everything that you are, in your soul, spirit, and body. I love how he ends. He reminds us that he who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. God is faithful. Even when we are not, he is faithful. And he is going to accomplish his plan. Paul penned it like this in, first, in uh, Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. This is church culture 101, folks. The way we are to conduct ourselves towards leaders, fellow believers within ourselves, and towards God are communicated clearly here and many other places in the Bible. If we want a healthy church culture, then we have to be willing to surrender to these things. All of these things that he talked about here today. This is just 101. There's many, many other things in the Bible that talk about what this gathering should look like but if we just do this, we'll be good. If we would just apply this right here in our culture, man, we, would have, we will have a very healthy and vibrant church culture. That's what God wants for us. Let me just close with this idea. No church, I said it before, can ever be what it's supposed to be without the support and commitment of its members. It, you remember what I said earlier that culture takes teamwork? Culture takes teamwork. There's no way that this can be what it is supposed to be unless everybody's on the same page, unless everybody's willing to, 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 to follow the guidelines, the principles, the values that God has set forth. And so I ask you this morning, are you willing to get on board with the things that God is saying 
here in this, in this word? Are you willing to surrender yourself to the Lord and say, I'm going to be a minister to the people of God. I'm going to show up, and I'm going to be ready to minister to people. Like, I'm not just going to show up to get something. I'm going to show up to give something. Like, I'm going to prepare myself when I come on Sunday morning to say, hey, Lord, I, wanted, I want you to do something in my life. Either use me or use somebody else in me, whatever the case may be. If you show up that way, you're going to be surprised at what God will do. There are no, are no bench sitters on God's team. Everybody's first string. And I believe that right now God is calling the church to step up. Not, not just not our church, but the church in general. Everybody, even our church, all of us to step up and say, hey, I got to live for the Lord, man, because Jesus is coming soon. Today is the day, man. This is the decision. You're faced with a decision today. What am I going to do in 2020? Am I going to continue to pursue the things that Dan was talking about earlier, the world, and, and pursue all of those things? Or I'm going to say, Lord, I, I'm, I'm going to just give myself over to you and whatever your will would be for me. That's my prayer for you because I know that's where freedom is, and I also know that that is where God's best is for you. And not, what, not in your plans, but in his plans. And so I, I just end with this call to you. Will you personally commit to executing and maintaining the principles and values that are laid out in this text? Not just for our sake, because it's best for us, but ultimately because this is, what God, is where, how God gets more glory from us, is when his body is operating correctly. I'll leave that with you. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word this morning, and we thank you for just a reminder of the kind of church culture that you desire. We pray, Father, that uh, as we move into 2020 this year, Lord, that you would help us to be a people that are on, on mission for what you're calling us to. Help us not to get caught up in Christian buzzwords, but help us to get caught up in really walking out the Christian life in a way that honors and pleases you. Lord, let us not just people that speak good things, but help us to do good things. Lord, help us to put feet to our faith and help us to step into areas that you're calling us to, Lord, to serve this body and to serve those around us. Lord, you have called every person in the ministry to be a servant. Help us to serve each other, God. Jesus, you came, you washed the feet of your disciples. Help us to be feet washers. Lord, there are things that you desire to do in our midst, and so we ask you now by the power of your spirit to do those things. As we close in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.